0: Do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We have two worship services here at Raleigh Court. We have a 9 o'clock service, which is our contemporary service led by our First Light band, and then we have our 11 o'clock traditional worship service that you all are participating in at this very moment. And in between the two services, we have the Sunday School Hour, which is actually more like 50 minutes, but it's pretty close. And that time is designed so that people who are here either for worship at the first service or the second service can come together and can grow in their faith. Uh, Small groups, small ministries are the crucible of faith. It's where we take what happens in here and we really put it into practice and we we dig in in a a more deep way than we can when we're in worship. And so on Sundays, in between the two services, I try to pop into the various Sunday school classes we have here at the church to make sure that no heresies are being committed. Now, Really, I I like to go by and pop in the classes because I too need to grow in my faith. And even if I'm in a room for two or three or five minutes, I can learn something that I didn't know before I walked in. And so I love to pop into these classes and glean something every once in a while. Someone will say, well, now that the pastor's here, we can finally get our answer to the question. Uh, But last week, last Sunday, I popped into our middle school and high school Sunday school class. John Turnbull was leading our class last week. And as I walked in, he was talking about The Bible, of course, and asked all of our students, all of our high schoolers and middle schoolers, if they had a favorite verse from the Bible. Sometimes people call it your life verse, that verse that you can go to, that you can recall at a moment's notice, a verse that you can hold on to when you have nothing else that you can hold on to. He said, Do you all have one of those verses? He said, Mine, this is John, he said, Mine is from the Gospel of John. Behold, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. The world will know me by the love that you share for one another. John shared with them. He said, That's my favorite verse. That's my life verse. That's the verse I cling to when I don't know what's going on. He said, Do you all have a favorite verse? Do you all have a life verse? Paige raised her hand. She said, Yes, I do. Love is patient, love is kind does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. That's my favorite verse from the Bible, Paige said. One by one, they went. And some of them said, well, John, I like yours. I think that's going to be my new favorite verse. Love one another just as I have loved you. And then they all looked at me. They said, Pastor Taylor, what's your favorite verse from the Bible? What's your Life verse. What's the verse you cling to when you don't know what else to hold on to? And I said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's my favorite verse in all of the scriptures. When you get ordained in the United Methodist Church, after going through all the things you have to do, after being a pastor for three years, and you've got your master's degree, and you've gone through your psychological evaluation, because we've got to make sure that pastors are sane for ministry which is great because Jesus says, I only want fools for Christ. When you go before the Virginia Annual Conference, thousands of United Methodists from the state of Virginia, you're called before the bishop, you kneel like some of us knelt earlier in prayer, one by one. And the whole annual conference prays over you as the bishop places his or her hands and says, Receive thou authority to proclaim the good news. But it's not just that. All ordinands are asked to bring their own Bible their favorite Bible and open it up to their favorite verse to their life verse and not only that it's, when I got ordained it was at the Berglund Center just a couple miles away they have these big jumbotrons in there and up on the jumbotrons it shows every Ordinance's favorite verse so when I got ordained when I knelt before the bishop and the whole annual conference the words on the screen do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's my favorite verse in the whole of the Bible. I've preached on it three times since I've been here. I haven't been here three years yet, but I've preached on this text three times. Why? Because it's my favorite. It's just that good. And you've got to go through Romans to get there. It's not just something you can pop down on. You've got to take everything to build. That's why we've been spending our summer in Romans. Week after week after week, we've been seeing how Paul's letter builds. It's not just this collection of great sayings, you know, motivational quotes. It's not that. It's a letter to the church, and it all builds on what came before. We've been spending our summer on this letter so that we can try to hear what it is that Paul was saying to them and what God is saying to us today. And all of it starts with recognition. And recognition is hard because you can only recognize something that you've encountered before. That's why the church for 2,000 years has been reading from the same book. It's why we've been praying some of the same prayers. In just a few months, it's going to be Advent. And you know what song we're going to sing? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That song is 1,100 years old. There's a reason we've been singing that song for more than 1,000 years. Because the more we sing, the more we pray, the more we read, we start to recognize that which we're seeing and saying and singing and praying. That's why we teach the stories that we teach to children and youth and adults alike. Because the more time we spend in it, the more we recognize what God is doing and what God is saying. Case in point, Romans 12. As Charlotte was reading it, there's a good chance that some of you recognize those words. If only because I've preached on them three times since I've been here. But also because these are some of the most famous words that Paul ever shared with any church. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. But there's a challenge for us, I think, in reading this text. It's a a cognitive challenge. Because sometimes we forget, because we read these as sort of like motivational quotes. This letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome was penned within 20 years of the first Easter. Within the first two decades of the church, Paul writes this letter. And it is sent not just to the church in Rome, but all the churches... This letter was written and read and shared before any of the Gospels were written down. Before Mark and Matthew and Luke and John said, You know what, I think it would be a good idea to write this all down. Paul wrote this letter. Churches read this letter before they ever read the Gospels. It's this letter that an ocean of ink has been spilt over. It's this letter that has brought people to the faith. It's this letter that has set hearts aflame for the kingdom. Listen to some of the letter again. These are all verses from this summer. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all. God shows God's love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin no longer has dominion over you because you are not under the law. Instead, you are under grace. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. We have all become children of God. I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Paul is addressing Roman Christians as people who have been released from their captivity to sin and death because of what God did through Jesus Christ. And having been set free from this oppression, Paul is saying to them, the time has come to act, to respond, to do something. To do something with this faith that's been given to you. Present yourselves to God like a sacrifice. And it all hinges on the therefore." Therefore, anytime we encounter a therefore, whether it's in the Bible or in a book or in a conversation, we always need to know what the therefore is there for. It's called grammar. It's important. That's why Martha Nicholas teaches it to her kindergartners. We need to know what the therefore is there for. It signals that everything that comes next depends on what came before. And everything from Romans 1 through 11 has been about what God is doing. Again, grammar. Read Romans 1-11. through 11. God gets all the good verbs. God is the one who moves, who acts, who speaks, who redeems, who, sa- who saves. And despite our culture's over-emphasis on making our own destinies and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, Romans actually says the opposite. Romans is Paul's way of saying, you don't even have boots, but God is going to lift you up So when Paul drops his therefore, it's a sign that everything he has said before is about to become something new. And he begins to describe the church. Martha was talking about the puzzle. All these individual pieces that come together. He describes the church. Because of what Christ did, therefore we can be the church. Paul says, don't give in to every whim and every wind of the world that tries to tell you who you are, what you should think, what you should do, what you should say. Instead, let yourselves be transformed by God. Lay down your life at the altar, not as a sacrifice to your own wants and hopes and dreams, but at the altar of the mercies of God. And when you do it, God will change you. Again, the grammar is important. Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. He doesn't say, do not be conformed and then go transform yourself. It's a passive verb. He says, "Be let, but be transformed. It means someone else has to do that thing to you. The rest of this chapter, all of chapter 12, it describes the church, not something we seek after, but what the power of the Spirit can do for us and through us. It's a vision of what we can be because of what God is. Paul says, Make sure that you have genuine love, outdo honor, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not easy to be the church. It's not easy being friends with Freeman Nestor. But God says I have to do it. Even harder to be friends with Fred Sisler. And God said he's the late leader of the church. It's not easy being the church. We need all the help we can get. Outdoing one another in love. Weeping for those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's not an easy thing to do. We need all the help we can get. The good news made manifest in Paul's letter is that Paul is saying the mind of Christ is being made manifest in the church. God is doing this thing to us. God is moving in ways seen and unseen. God is shaping our thoughts and hopes and dreams. God's empowering us to do impossible things because God has done the impossible for us. God can make something even out of our nothing. So he says, present yourselves. Open yourselves up to the wonder of God. See what God can do through you. Paul talks about sacrifice. We don't like to talk about sacrifice. We don't want to think about having to sacrifice anything for anyone, which is a bit odd since pretty much the entirety of the Bible is built on the fact of Christ's once and for all sacrifice for you and for me and for everybody else. It's because of that sacrifice that we can lay ourselves at the altar of God's mercy. We can open ourselves up to the will of God. We can receive the grace we need to be changed. And when we do it, miraculous things can happen. The church sort of shares with us this gift. We have a gift of a new path in which our mistakes no longer define who we are. It's the gift of a new present where we're bound with all these weird puzzle pieces together to do something amazing. It's the gift of a new future... Where the fear of death no longer has dominion over us. How is it possible? Paul tells us. While we were still helpless. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows God's love to us. In that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I was in Alexandria yesterday. Northern Virginia. It's where I'm from. It's where I was born. I did a lot in 24 hours. I got to see my grandmother. Because I love my grandmother. I got to see my parents, because I love my parents. But neither of those two were the reason I went to Alexandria. I was asked to go for a baptism. Many of you know that last year, both in the spring and the summer, two of my oldest friends (coughs) chose to end their lives. One was 34, and the other was 28. And I was called upon to go and lead those services of death and resurrection. Two who chose to no longer be among the living. There are no words. But one of those boys, his nephew, needed to get baptized. And so the family called and they said, Could you share some words for the occasion of his baptism? And so I drove up to Alexandria for this service yesterday. I like to take a cue from Paul whenever I am at a baptism. I like to write a letter as the sermon, and I give it to the child, particularly when it's a baby, because they have no idea what's happening to them. They're not going to remember what happens. And so, like Paul, I write a letter that one day the parents can give to the kid when they come of age, and then they can say, this is why we did to you what we did. And so I wrote a letter. And I took a cue from Paul. I used the letter as a way to build up until a therefore. Therefore. I stood before all these people I shared with them a letter that I wrote to young Hayden, a two-year-old boy. I shared with him about God's unwavering commitment to be our God. How God loves us so much that God is willing to die for us. Therefore, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not life, not death, not what we do or leave undone. Nothing can ever separate us. Baptism is just another way that God reminds us we're loved. And there ain't nothing we can do about it. So, when I finished the epistle, when I finished that little sermon, I took Hayden in my arms. Again, he's two years old. And I talked with him beforehand. I said, I'm going to get your head wet, dude. I'm going to do it three times. And so, when I took the water, I always take the water and I drip it in the kid's hands. It kind of mellows them out before they get baptized. So, he took his wet hands and he, I think, remembered that I said it. And so, he just kept putting the water on his head. (laughs) I said, No, no, no. I'm the one that does that. You can't baptize yourself. It's this great moment as I held him in my arms. There were all these people there, family and friends, all these little kids on picnic blankets. It was outside. It was beautiful. I took the water and I baptized Hayden in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I said, You are a precious lamb of Jesus Christ. After the service, the family had, you know, purchased some food so we could have a little bit of a reception. We're sharing food and sharing some cool drinks with each other and a a woman came up to me an acquaintance of an acquaintance of acquaintance someone i only kind of know she said can i ask you a question i said sure she said do you really believe all that i said which part (laughs) she said do you really believe that that there's nothing like that there's nothing that can ever separate us from God's love. Do you really believe that? I said, yeah. But it's not original to me. <laughs> it comes from Paul. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And she kind of looked at me for a second and she said, if that's true, it's the best news I've ever heard. And I said, well, it's not the best news. It's the good news the gospel sometimes I look out from this pulpit on Sunday mornings at all these people this motley crew of Christians and I always wonder why has God put us together what is God up to what's God doing where's the Holy Spirit moving us and shaking us why has God decided that all of us should be here at this moment on this day to hear these words. And most of the time, I have no idea. I pray for God's discernment. I pray for God to clue me in on what God's up to. The one thing that I am sure of is that part of my being here is to tell you something every week. To hand over the goods. Every week, to proclaim not the best news, but the good news. God loves you. Every little bit of you. every bit. Loves you when you're right and when you're wrong. When you mess up and when you're perfect. God loves you even if you don't love God back. God loves you. And God's love is so unbelievable, so amazing, so incredible that it actually might just change you. It might just change you. So, dear friends, hear me when I tell you, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, let yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds. God loves you so much that it might just change you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever,